What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I was 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Dew Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey there. Because you're listening to this podcast, we at Blue Wire want you to know this. One, we freaking love you. And two, we want to learn more about you. Help us make more content you'll love by filling out a survey you can find in the description of this podcast. You'll help us out a ton, and you'll have a chance to win a Blue Wire t-shirt, hoodie, or a pair of AirPods. We appreciate you, hope you're staying safe, and want you to enjoy this podcast. Three on one. Bagley the step. Bagley with the dunk. And you can put it in the book and send it to the line. There it is. Buddy Hill alone at the top of the King's record book. Oh, I like this. The Fox 4-5 in the open court. It's Fox into the lane. Oh, you don't like that. You don't like King's basketball. Oh. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. My name is Brendan Nunez. And today we have Scott Freshour, who is the MC for the Sacramento Kings, on here today. How are you doing, Scott? Hey, I'm awesome, man. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate you coming on and taking the time out of your day, man. And the first question I always throw people's way is, what got you into sports and basketball in the first place, man? Ooh, well, it was the greatest show on court, dude. It was uh, it was Chris Webber's The Velades. It was that era that really got me excited about basketball. Um, we were just talking before the podcast starts. I, I kind of grew up out in the mountains, um, and I'm, a, I'm an art nerd, uh, admittedly. And so, like, basketball really wasn't on my radar up until, you know, Jason Williams showed up, and everyone was starting to buzz about them. And that's really what kind of got me excited about basketball was, was Vlade, Chris, Peja, all those guys. Um, <laughs> fast forward, you know, 16, 20 years, I'm, I'm living the dream, dude. <laughs> right. So was it was there more than basketball for you? Like my understanding from what I've seen is you're like a big WWE guy, also, right? <laughs> I definitely enjoyed pro wrestling before I learned about the NBA. <laughs> I, I've been watching pro wrestling pretty pretty consistently since freshman year in high school, so ninety nine, so twenty one years. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, it's a good little bit of time. <laughs> Um, yeah, so wrestling is definitely an inspiration for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, well, you're kind of like a hype man in a way, right? And you, it seems to, it to me, it seems like it would be a little bit translatable some of the things that you hear from the announcers in pro wrestling compared to what you're doing now. One hundred percent. I, I honestly draw a lot of inspiration from Chris Jericho, The Rock, CM Punk. All these guys that were really good on microphones were, they kind of had that presence about them, and so I always try to draw inspiration from some of the, the WWE greats, especially on the microphone, especially when it comes to hyping up the crowd or getting people excited. That's it's really where WWE has come in helpful for me. <laughs> right. Yeah, and, and we'll get to uh, we'll get to what goes into all of that in a little bit here, but to kind of start at the beginning a little bit more, um, what what did you like originally look to do as a career and how did you find yourself with basketball being a part of that? I mean, growing up, zero idea that there were careers in basketball or pro sports in general. Uh, I always assumed that the only jobs in pro sports were coach, player, 
ushers and maybe the guys at the concession stands. I had no idea that there was a whole business office side of, of basketball. So when I was growing up, um, like I had mentioned earlier, I kind of grew up out in the forest, you know, really love being outdoors still to this day. Um, and I was big into art uh, when I was in – actually, I'm, I'm proud to say that I was voted most artistic in middle school and in high school. So, like, art was really my – my drive, my goal, my, my, that was what I wanted to get into was art. So I did advanced placement art courses in, in high school and I, I was planning on going to college for art as well. Um, and then obviously Chris Weber era showed up and I found a lot of my artwork kind of gravitating towards doing Sacramento Kings drawings. Like I got some pretty sweet drawings of, uh, Bobby Jackson and Doug Christie and I should show it to him one of these days. But, um, I remember I, I wanted to be a graphic designer for the Sacramento Kings. I didn't know if that was a thing or not. I remember seeing, you know, very early on that they did internships with the Kings for graphic design. So I, I, I chose Sacramento State so that I could potentially get this graphic design internship with the Sacramento Kings so I could just do art and I could be around the Kings. It would it would be a dream come true for me. Um, so I, I went to Sac State uh, majoring in art. And um, I, I – I switched over to communications pretty early on. Um, I I wasn't crazy about the art program uh, at the time, and so I, I switched over to communications, and I was kind of a lost soul. I mean, 19 years old, trying to figure out what I want to do in college. Um, and so I went to a Sac State baseball game with a couple of my knucklehead friends, and we were just kind of like heckling the outfielders. And a guy came over to me. And I thought he was going to kick us out of the stadium because we were just being obnoxious. And he said to me, hey, I work in the Sac State Athletics Department. I really like your energy. Would you be interested in applying for an internship in our sports marketing department? And I said, heck, yeah. I did. I said yes immediately. And, and from that point forward, I've kind of been around this game entertainment slash experience world where I, I'm a part of building out what, uh, a Sac State sporting event or a Sacramento Kings sporting event looks and feels like. So, I mean, very early on, they let me kind of have creative control over at Sac State and kind of try things that I'd seen at Kings games. And I'm talking like half-court shots and you know, free throws for for a T-shirt, those kind of things. Uh, and at the end of that internship, my current boss, Maurice Brazelton, called my boss at Sac State and said, hey, is there anybody here that wants to intern for the Kings? And again, I jumped at that opportunity and pretty much got hired when I was 19 years old with the Kings and I just kind of, you know, worked many different roles and, you know, kind of climbed up the ladder, so to speak. And, uh, you know, now I'm the MC for the Sacramento Kings and then my full-time job is the director of entertainment. So through that course of that journey, it went from, you know, being, you know, the guys that throw out the t-shirts during the game. I started out as that uh, and then I transitioned into kind of working closer with Slamson, going to community appearances with him, and then that turned into a full-time job as an event coordinator, and then into a full-time job as a stage manager, and then a promotion to a producer, and then my current role as director of entertainment. So it's it's been a wild, wild journey, but it's been amazing. Wow. Yeah. I mean, coming into the team <laughs> at 19, yeah. So, yeah. so what was that initially coming into – like you said, I mean, you jumped on the opportunity at one point. The Kings kind of became a goal for you as a job. What was it like when, you know, you're 19 years old and you finally did get your foot in the door? Um, you touched on it a little bit, but what was kind of like your role like at the time? And were there difficulties and, and hills you sort of had to get over at that point? 
I mean, my my first position there was was called like interactive team slash like game night staff. So, I if for any any fans that remember, we used to drop those thunder sticks from the catwalk. I don't know if you guys remember that. We would do that at a timeout where we would drop like two thousand thunder sticks over the crowd, and they'd grab the thunder sticks and make noise. So like that was one of my roles. Like I would come in at that time. I was still in college at the same time, so I would come in on game nights only at that point. So I would cruise in around three or four o'clock and I'd help roll, roll all the t-shirts and I, you know, blow up all the thunder sticks. And uh, I got to tell you, stepping into that building as a, as a fan and stepping onto that court as a fan, it, dude, it was like, <laughs> I can't even explain it. It's literally like meeting like your, your role models, your, it'd be like meeting Elvis or the Beatles just to be able to step onto that court. It was the most surreal feeling in the world and it, that's pretty much what got me hooked into it um and i've been pretty addicted since man it's game nights for the kings are probably one of the most exciting parts of my life yeah I, i'm sure you get a lot more interaction with guys now but at the time when like you're saying i mean you're walking onto the court with with some of your idols guys you're watching <laughs> pretty often i mean were there like even just minimal interactions that you were able to have with some of these guys that like stand out to you or how often were you kind of able to actually like I would assume it's minimal stuff, but kind of have a short little one-liner with some of these players, coaches, or whatever in passing. Yeah, I mean, very early on, you know, I was I was very respectful of the players. You know, they're going out there, they're shooting hoops, they're you know, they've got a, a basketball game to play. So I really didn't bother them too much. I mean, obviously, I would watch you know Chris Weber shoot free throws or Peja, you know shoot threes, but I would never go over and bother them ever. I would I was so nervous and intimidated of that. Um, as I continued my journey, I, I started working the media day events, uh, which is where you kind of capture all the content for the year and there's you know there's local media and then we have our cameras and we try to capture stuff that goes up on the big screen during the games. And so really that's where my first interactions began with the players was it was probably when I became a full time member of the Kings, which is probably around 2005. Uh, we're fresh out of college. Um, and I just, I, re- I just remember being so nervous, man. I was super nervous around the basketball players. I didn't want to upset them, didn't want to, you know, cause any waves. So I was always very respectful. And, you know, fast forward, you know, 15 years from that point, you know, now I can say that I'm friends with Doug Christie and Peja. And it's kind of insane that it started, the journey started as me being a very intimidated 19-year-old to now, you know, I say hi to Doug. I say hi to Bobby. It's, it's right. pretty crazy. It's a crazy life. Yeah. So then when did the the MC job sort of present itself to you? How did that come about? Sure. Well, I mean, you know, probably one of the greatest MCs in King's history was Big Mike. Um, and Big Mike was pretty much the first MC in the NBA. Like him uh, and a gentleman named Scotty B out of the Orlando Magic were kind of the first two on-court MCs. And this was probably in the, you know, maybe late 90s. They kind of started this on-court host uh, role, and they excelled with it. And those Scotty B and Big Mike were doing all of these, you know, all-star events and doing all these international events. And so Big Mike was was somebody that I watched growing up, uh, and then obviously I worked with with at the Kings. Um, when when he decided not to return, uh, there was an opportunity uh, and. I remember they were trying out local celebrities. They were kind of like going to like Good Day Sack and trying out Marcus Allen, see if he would be a good entering MC. And they were just kind of 
this was probably around 2008, 2009, but they were kind of just trying people out and we weren't finding anybody that was really sticking. And at this time, my role was stage manager. So what, what is a stage manager? It's, it's the dudes that, you know, bring out the contestants out onto the court. It's the guys that take the anthem singer out. It's the guys that really bring the halftime acts out. So I was doing that role. Um, but I was keeping my eye on the, you know, MC thing just because I was kind of helping out, you know, how did that person do? And I would kind of get my feedback. And so, you know, I know that they were still struggling on trying to find somebody. And then my boss at the time said, Hey, you're kind of weird and outgoing. Do you want to try it? And again, I was presented with an opportunity and I jumped at it. Uh, and you know, the rest is history. Um, the gentleman who gave me the opportunity was named Tom Venucci. Uh, and he, he had come from Disney. He was an Imagineer. And so he really spent a lot of time kind of coaching me and working with me to make sure that, uh, you know, I wasn't uh, too over the top, you know, what cameras to look at, uh, just how I, how I hold myself and conduct myself on a microphone. He was really helpful uh, as a mentor. And so was Scott Moak, who's the PA announcer. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I remember I got the opportunity. I actually have a picture of it somewhere. I got to look for it. But. Uh, I emceed my first game probably around age 23, 24, and I think I've been doing it almost 10 years now. Wow. Yeah, I mean, wow, you got into this pretty early. Um, <laughs> I really did, man. Yeah. So Deuce gave us a little bit of insight that you are at the games extremely early before everything's kicking off. And what sort of prep are you doing when you're when you're there early a lot before all the fans and, and everything? What what sort of prep goes into each one of these game days for you? Sure. Uh, well, you know, as the director of entertainment, you know, we have a full time entertainment staff of probably close to ten to twelve people, uh, and so we actually start putting together the, the pieces of the game a couple days beforehand. So let's say the game there's a game versus the Lakers on Friday. So Wednesday. Uh, we will pretty much have a finalized version of our script. And I know that might sound kind of silly, but we have a full, like, production rundown script. And on this script, it has everything from what's happening at that timeout to what are the cameras shooting, what are the lights, are there spotlights, are there lasers, what's the music that's playing, it, uh, what does the lower third on the screen say. So there's quite a bit. It's almost comparable to, like, producing a news telecast in, in a way. So, you know, the Wednesday, we would be kind of finalizing all those details. And then Thursday, we would meet uh, with all of the people in our department. That's Slamson, our entertainment managers, our, our lighting guys, our audio guys, our video guys. So we kind of go through the game the day before. And then the day of the game is when we rehearse almost every element that goes into the game that night. So if you see a halftime act, they're practicing the day of the game. If you see a, a contest, we rehearse that, you know, before the game starts. So yeah, we get in there pretty early, man, and I'm an early riser anyway, so it's not uncommon for me to show up around 8 or 9 a.m. On, a, on a King's game night. Uh, I kind of finalize some of the scripts that I've written out and uh, kind of helping pull props and kind of setting up uh, everything that goes into the game, and then and then I just kind of sit back and I, I assist others, and if anything pops up, I'm there to help them out. But, yeah, we get to the King's game super early, dude. Yeah, and, it, and, it's, and honestly, it's because we love it. We love doing it. So it's not like, oh, it's to be there at 8 a.m. Dang. Like, ah, oh, we love it. Every single day has been the greatest day of my life. Yeah. So so that prep that, that obviously goes in, in each one, like you said, having a script ready, um, 
is there, I mean, because each game obviously has a lot of variance to it, you know, whether it be a bunch of official reviews going on or it's a blowout, there's less timeouts. Do you have a lot of prep um, that you end up not being able to get through? Like, do you just always make sure you're over-prepared in in the case of, you know, say, overtime or whatever situation like that? Always over-prepared. We have, have, you know, contingency plans for any kind of in-game, you know, happenstance. So, like you said, if there's a play review call, do we have slams and ready to go out there and, you know, run out with a calendar of lion messes? Or he, He's always doing funny stuff. <laughs> uh, but my full-time job is really kind of fine-tuning the, the creative content that goes into the game. So a lot of my time is spent preparing, you know, what could happen, what, what would be fun, what would be entertaining, what would be interesting, what would be new. Uh, and so, you know, in preparation for the games, uh, we have a ton of content, and we have everything really scripted out down to the T. Uh, and to your point, you know, if the Kings go on a 10-0 run and the crowd is standing on its feet, you know, the game director who sits at the scores table would scrap whatever the timeout was. Maybe it was a video that was going to get played. The energy in the building is so high that we're going to scrap the video and we're going to throw out T-shirts instead and keep the crowd up on its feet and keep them engaged that's really kind of the philosophy that we have. Like we let the energy of the crowd dictate the show. So if you know the Kings are sta- the Kings fans are standing on their feet, we're gonna give them every reason to stay on their feet. We're gonna throw out stuff. We're gonna play, you know, uh, exciting music. We're gonna do everything we can to make it have a party atmosphere. And if the Kings are, you know, just you know, if they're if they're, if the score is going back and forth, well, then we're gonna give you some some different kind of content showing off what's going on in the in the community or you know what are we doing. Uh, with our dance teams, things like that. So, yeah, we have contingencies for for pretty much every situation that goes into a game, uh, which is pretty exciting, and a ton of stuff gets cut. So there'll be sometimes we'll play a video that was meant to be played two or three games prior, but, you know, because of the energy of the game, we chose to go with with T-shirts or something like that. Um, Yeah, it's it's a whirlwind. And, you know, I want to say that we're probably – live entertainment – based entertainment i know that was a weird sentence live entertainment especially in the sporting world is probably the only live production that will change things on the fly right like if you go to a surface la show in vegas you're they're dialed down to the second as far as lighting and video cues you know with us like you said we, we could switch something up in, in, a, in a heartbeat and go with t-shirts or go with a funny video or whatever we might do. So we're constantly changing. So it's we prepare as much as we can, and then we let the, the game kind of decide the entertainment when it comes down to it, which is really exciting because I don't believe any live entertainment show has the capability of switching things up on the fly like, uh, like we do. There's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, BetOnline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. If you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. If you're looking for something else other than sports, BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out as well. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. 
so when you're switching when you're switching things up like that and playing it by ear based on the situation, I mean, what is the communication process like with sure. so many different possible people that you're rolling out? Like you're saying, based on the situation, is it a little difficult at times to um, communicate that out to each one? Like you know, hey, you're going on in two minutes or whatever. You know what? Our our crew has been together a long time. You know, I would say ninety percent of our game entertainment crew has been together for 15 plus years. So we're really in sync with each other, which is which is why I think we do a really good job at entertainment is that we just kind of know each other's we we can like read each other's minds. It's weird. But yeah, yes, there are there are comms that we all wear. So Mo Brazelton is the game director and he sits at the scores table kind of next to Scott Moak who is the PA announcer. He's watching the coaches, he's anticipating, you know, if there's going to be a timeout called early. He's got a headset on, and he's in constant communication with our video control room, uh, as well as our stage managers, our lighting director, and our audio director. So he's there's constant conversation going on throughout the game. So like as I'm running from you know one spot to another, I can hear him in my earpiece saying, "Hey, we're gonna cut that video. We're gonna go straight to Cat for a T-shirt toss at the next time out." So it, there's really a constant communication. Um, so I have an earpiece, and so, it, you know, at times it feels kind of like I'm an Avenger and I'm kind of running around, and I, I get Nick Fury <laughs> in my ear telling me, oh, we got to switch this up. We're going over here, and that's, that's probably why it's such an addicting adrenaline rush for me is that it's just so wild. It, it, the, it is the epitome of organized chaos, but it is, it is the most fun job in the world, man. Yeah, I mean, from from a fan point of view, like, you and Kat are running around ridiculously between the games, and I've always wondered, I mean, how much are you even able to watch what is going on on the court? Is it mainly, um, I forget the name that you just said, feeding it into your ear, and that's how you're aware of what's going on? Or how are you able to manage moving from place to place and all this and also understand what's going on on the court? You know what, it's, it's honestly, I don't get a chance to watch the game until maybe the last two minutes or so, maybe the fourth quarter, I get a chance to watch the game a little bit more. Uh, as I'm running around, you know, I'm, I'm keeping track of the score and the time uh, that's on the clock. And so, like, you can, you can also hear the crowd's reaction. Like, if, if things are getting really, really, really exciting, you can kind of start telling something's going down. So, for example, let's say, you know, one time out, I start out on the court. And then the next time out, I would be up in the stands for a contest. So as soon as that on-court contest ends, I'm pretty much running – straight to the stands for the contest and once I talk to the contestants and we both feel comfortable you know then I'll watch a couple of plays here and there but man I don't remember the last time I got to watch a live NBA game from start to finish it's probably before I started working there dude it's been that long but it's man it's yeah it's unreal (laughs) it's fun yeah, well, obviously you're a big, uh, big part of the whole energy that goes on in that stadium. And you mentioned obviously having all these um, potential uh, activities laid out. What does that creative process look like? I'm sure you know there's the fundamentals, like you said, a t-shirt toss or a half-court shot. Um, but what does the creative process sort of look like for coming up with with new things there? I mean, are you able to watch other games? I don't exactly know how you'd find the feed of that or where are you able to pull inspiration? Yeah, you know, so a lot of our creative is done during the off-season. So we spend a lot of time doing creative sessions. And so I lead a lot of the the creative stuff. So we have to fulfill corporate partnerships 
So like a partnership with Quick Quack Car Wash. So we know that those contests have to get in game. We also, you know, collaborate with our community department. So we're honoring a fire department uh, branch if they're in the building. So we, we do collaborate with a lot of other departments to highlight a lot of the initiatives that they already have planned. So we spend a lot of time during the off season, you know, coming up with tons of new contest ideas, video ideas, um, just new things to try in the arena. And it's kind of my job to kind of keep those ideas. Uh, and then once we get closer to the season started, uh, Mo and myself will kind of place, you know, kind of, kind of a rough, in a rough draft. We'll kind of place out all the timeouts for the entire season, dude. So like, at any wow. given time, I could look at a game in March and be like, oh, yeah, the second time out, we're doing the quick quack car wash. So like, we, we kind of do a rough draft before the season even starts. And then once the season starts, it's a lot of fine-tuning what we had kind of written out, you know, adjusting to see if there's anything going on in the community or, or something that we should be aware of. So, you know, a perfect example is when, like, the campfire occurred a couple of years back, you know, we – we did a lot of programming around highlighting, you know, firefighters. So we were we were staying topical while we were still kind of programming some of the cringe stuff that we had come in over the season. It's um, it's it's a lot of work, man, and it at times it can kind of feel overwhelming. But that's when you just have to kind of honker down and be a little little bit more organized and detailed. And, and I'm telling you, it's it's uh, it's magic when it all comes together, man. When when it when we are able to kind of hit on all cylinders, there's no, there's no arena in the NBA that is, is at our level of entertainment. And I, I try to be humble when I say that, but I really don't think there's an experience like the Kings game night in the NBA. In addition, to answer the second part of your question, uh, every offseason we get together with other teams, usually at like a neutral site somewhere in the country. So anywhere from, you know, sometimes it's in Vegas, sometimes it's in Orlando, sometimes it's in New York. So we will actually get together, and, and I know pretty much every counterpart across the league. I know their MCs, their game directors, their video control guys. So we all kind of know each other. So we all follow each other on social media, and we all we all share what's called best practices. So if, you know, if the Clippers did a really good contest and, it you know, it got a great crowd reaction, you know, they'll send it out for the league to they'll send it out for the teams the other teams to see and you know then at that point we can say oh let's give it a try or let's adjust it so it kind of feels this way so there's a ton of collaboration across the league um the difference is just how teams choose to execute so you know we choose the high energy comedy route uh and other teams might choose the like like for example the clippers they kind of have the they kind of have this uh, kind of millennial-based entertainment. So they have a lot of, like, performances at halftimes. And a lot of their music is, is targeted toward a younger audience. So each team kind of has its own vibe, which is exciting. But, yeah, there is tons of collaboration. That's interesting. So I, I think of, like, when you, when you mentioned the comedy, the first thing I think of is the opposing team's introductions. Are you, <laughs> are you the lead of this, where it's like I the would... raptors and they throw out all these <laughs> tiny little toy dinosaurs on the camera? Yeah, so I, I usually take lead in, in the creation of the random visitor intros. I, I obviously collaborate with a brilliant team that we have. So, like, usually it's, it's between myself, Slamson, and our audio engineer, we usually come up with those weird intros. And so, like, our gag last year was trying to, like, <laughs> like highlight a, the wrong city. So, like, when we played Miami, we showed footage of 
the University of Miami, Ohio, we, and we played their <laughs> fight song. So we just tried to kind of do dumb – I don't know. We just like to troll, man. It's so much fun to troll. It's so much fun. And then a couple of years ago with the Steph Curry, I don't know if you remember, Steph Curry questioned if we, land, if, if the, if we had actually landed on the moon. Uh, and so two games later, two days later, we played the Warriors. And so we played footage of the moon landing for the Warriors <laughs> intros. And uh, Slamson wore an astronaut suit. So, like, we try to stay as topical as we can. So if something pops up like that in the media, we, we jump on it and we try to incorporate it into the game as quickly as we can. Yeah, that's phenomenal. Yeah, you, so you mentioned uh, that you feel like, you know, the Kings are one of, or you might have said, the best uh, in-game entertainment from the game. I'm going to say the best, brother. I don't blame you, man. From the games <laughs> I've been to, I, I will totally advocate for you, not having been to every stadium, but, you know. Um, <laughs> So, and I'm assuming that having a brand new crazy shiny toy in the Golden One Center as an upgrade from Arco was a major deal in allowing you to just be more creative and have more to work with, right? Totally, dude. Like, we went from we went from a, a canvas to a 10,000-foot canvas. Like, we literally got all the toys. I remember when we were we would go to those league meetings during the summer and, you know, we'd hear about these other teams and what they could do from a technology standpoint. Like, we would just be drooling, like, oh, I can't wait till we get a big screen that that big or, you know, LED ribbons or the opportunity to have a DJ be outside. Like, we were just dying for these ideas to, to finally come true. And so when we got it, I mean, we went from probably being the oldest arena to the best arena overnight. And so that's something that I'm really proud of. But uh, one of the best parts of the Kings games is is our crowds, and that's obviously no secret to anybody. But one cool story I wanted to share was, uh, you know, when we were talking about collaboration. In addition, you know, we have the ability to go travel to other teams and watch what they do because there's so much camaraderie. So, like last season, I think the Phoenix Suns entertainment staff came to a Kings game, and you know, despite all the bells and whistles that Golden One Center had, his biggest takeaway was dude, can we have your crowd? I've never seen an audience engage that much during a sporting event. And I just thought that was pretty wow. cool, man, that, you know, despite all the toys that we have in Golden One Center, the thing that he took away was how great the audience was. Yeah, I mean, everyone that we've talked to has said that. Um, and like I said, from the places I've been to, I can totally advocate for it, the the fans here and that stadium the way it gets booming is ridiculous I was at the uh the fir- my first impression of it was the Marvin Bagley summer league dunk and I was like man are we sh- playoffs right now it's crazy exactly I I know I remember exactly what you're talking about man and I I remember looking at one of my coworkers and going dude do you see this this is real man this is real Oh, it was awesome. Yeah. It was the Lakers and everything. It was a perfect storm, for sure. That's right, man. Um, it, was but, a, you know, it was a summer league game. So, like, usually those crowds aren't really too hyped. Right. But sort of see that kind of energy at a summer league game, that's how you know we're a special community in Sacramento. Yeah, definitely are. And and one of the uh, one of the last few things that I got for you here, man, is so when you have these contests and obviously the contestants that are a part of that what is the process like of choosing who's going to be involved in each one of these? How far in advance are you communicating with them, and what does that look like? Sure. Well, I mean, they're all picked. They're all picked at random. So our stage managers and it, our stage managers, you can spot because they wear the little, they wear the little like headpiece mic that kind of comes and wraps around in front of their mouth, and they're all in like king's polos. They will usually cast the people who are in contests like right when the doors open. So like your best bet about getting picked 
is to be like one of the first hundred people in the building at Golden One Center in that grand entrance. And like, if you see somebody with a headset, go, hey, you got any contests tonight? You need any need any contestants? That's that's usually when they get picked uh, at that time, right then and there. Got it. Yeah, um, definitely interesting. Makes a lot of sense there. And then, so you did the MC for the All Star Weekend multiple years. I see here 2013 to 2016. What is the process like of of getting chosen for that and then going to the weekend itself? So that is was one of my early goals, right? When when my boss approached me and said, "Hey, dude, you want to start MCing?" I said, "Yes," and I'm going to do an All Star game. Like it was my goal. Like I I really made it a goal that I'm going to be an All Star MC. So the NBA offices in New York City are the ones that are in charge of picking who gets involved in All-Star Weekend. So they kind of keep their eyes on everything that's going on across the league. So when they are picking, you know, who works All-Stars, they are picking the All-Stars. So, like, if Slamson gets picked to go to All-Star, it's because they think he's the best mascot in the world. Um, When, you know, a DJ from Dallas gets booked to go to All-Stars, because they think they're the best DJ in the NBA. So for me to be able to have emceed at seven NBA All-Star weekends, uh, it's it's awesome to know that the NBA was looking at me and saying, he's the best, and so we're going to book him. So like that's that right there is is, is pretty humbling and, and, and special for me to to know that across, you know, thirty teams in the NBA, the, you know, the offices in New York identified me as as the top MC and have continued to kind of bring me out and so it is to me it's the biggest honor and you know it, I'm sure it's not as exciting as being picked to play in the all-star game but for somebody who's doing what I'm doing to be picked for those all-star events it feels like I got picked to be an NBA all-star it is really special man yeah, I mean you're an all-star in your role, right? That's exactly yeah. what it is. Um yeah. do they only they only take one MC out there every year? They take multiple, and they'll, you know, they'll take – what they'll do is they'll assign you to a certain game. So, like, you know, for a few years I was doing the NBA All-Star game. So that's when I was like, hey, uh, this is this is how I know I'm seen at the league – by the league at a high level. Uh, but they'll usually bring out three or four MCs. You know, sometimes I'll co-host uh, – like, like in New Orleans, I, I was – I co-hosted with um, – with, uh, the young lady who MCs in Toronto. So they'll kind of pair you up. They'll take a top male and top female, and then you'll get to MC. Okay. So I've, I've really gotten to know the MCs across the league pretty well, too, and they're, uh, they're a rowdy, fun bunch. Let me just say that. <laughs> I'm sure, <laughs> yeah. It seems like you'd have to be with that role, right? Oh, dude, it's just just imagine getting 20, 20 extroverts all in <laughs> one room. It's, <laughs> it's all right. about who can talk the loudest. It's pretty funny. <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, the last thing I'll throw your way, Scott, here before I let you go is do you have any, it's very general, any sort of stories or moments that stick out to you from whether it be uh, contests and contestants, maybe some moments that you improvised and it turned out great or didn't go how you expected, player, coach (laughs) interactions, anything like that? Oh, my God, I have trillions of those. Uh, (laughs) um, Gosh, I'm trying to think of something really weird or funny. I, I honestly think from a contest standpoint, probably the funniest thing that has happened in game and the Kings still kind of posted every now and then is when we did family feud at halftime and we were doing the, the category was something that you would hate to get stuck on the bottom of your shoe. And like the answers were like gum and poop. 
And we interviewed this dude where I asked the dude, you know, what's something you hate to find on your shoe? And, like, he was struggling. He couldn't think of anything, couldn't think of anything. And then the words that came out of his mouth were a condom. And, dude, I got the, it was entire, game. <laughs> dude, the entire crowd was like, what? <laughs> and so, like, I just remember I threw the card up in the air. And I said, where are you walking, buddy? Like, that was one of my favorite in-game moments of all time. Uh, man, that was a <laughs> That's hilarious. That was a good one. Um, gosh, okay, probably my highlight of I, – I, oh, gosh, this is when I was a lot younger, dude. Oh, man, it just pains me to say this now, but probably one of the top moments of my life was <laughs> – I'm not a partier by any means, dude. Not by any means. I, don't, I think I maybe drink one alcoholic beverage a year. But I partied with Charles Barkley one night, all night, in L.A. <laughs> after an NBA Finals party, and that had to have been the, the, the most insane moment of my life to wow. to be just, like, like, Charles Barkley had his arm around me, and, like, we were singing the songs. Like, it was just, it was the most insane moment of my life. <laughs> Hanging out with Charles Barkley at a club. Yeah, even if you don't, don't party. I, I, mean, I don't think I've been to a club since. <laughs> right, right, but Charles Barkley <laughs> asked you. I mean, you got to go, right? <laughs> oh, man. Um, <laughs> Yeah, well, Scott, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day, man. Um, I, that's all I really got for you here. Um, maybe last thing, I mean, are you – is there a role that you are eyeing and looking to make your way up to, or are you pretty content with, with what you're going now? I mean, you seem to enjoy what you're doing. I am a very ambitious young man, uh, although I'm not very young anymore. I'm 36. Uh, I, I love my current role with the Kings. I'm going to stay with it as long as I'm allowed to. Uh, but some of my other goals in life are to eventually work in the nonprofit world. I would love to, I would love to lend my talents to a, uh, like a nonprofit that's, you know, saving endangered animals or helping kids have access to education or clean water. Like I'm really, really looking and excited at any kind of opportunity to kind of give back. Um, in addition to that, I think I'm going to try and get my master's at Harvard. Um, I'm in the admissions process right now with Harvard to get a master's degree. I have to go through a couple of courses and then I, then I get the opportunity to either go on or, or say this program isn't for me. So it's looking like I'm going to be getting my master's at Harvard. I would love to, (laughs) this is going to sound crazy. I would love to eventually get a PhD. Uh, and I want to win a Nobel Peace Prize. Like, I really want to, like, do something that is so impactful that changes the world in such a meaningful way. Uh, that's really, I think, what my next chapter in life is going to be. Uh, but until then, I'm going to enjoy my NBA lifestyle and honkering down and starting these classes at Harvard. And we're going to see where it goes, dude. There you go. Well, I, again, really appreciate you taking the time out of your day here, Scott. And thank you to everybody for listening to this episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. You'll hear from us again in the next couple of days. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Root Metrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.